Could you turn to your Bibles in John chapter 5, please? Well, it's been several weeks since uh, we were in this series, Experiencing God. So this morning, it would be inappropriate, I think, to just simply jump in and pick up where we left off, because if you're at all like me, and I'm the one doing all the preparation stuff, you kind of forget where you're at. You kind of forget it's been long enough to kind of lose perspective. And if I think of us just to jump right back in where I was before, we're kind of, you know, you wonder how this all fits together. So I want us to kind of regain perspective this morning and just help us to see and understand where we're at. What does it mean to experience God as we're talking about? How does what we've covered fit so far with the broad scheme of things? And just gain new perspective. This Christmas vacation... We, uh, we flew back home, and I love flying. And this is why I love flying. You get on a plane, and you take off. You feel the rush of taking off, and perhaps you're freaked out because you're hoping it does take off. <laughs> and an amazing thing happens. You start taking flight, and you go quickly higher and higher and higher and higher, and if you, if you love the city lights, if you, especially you get this perspective at night, the city starts to drop below you. And little by little, it drops further and further below you. And before you know it, you can see almost as far as the eye can see, and you get all the city in perspective, and your perspective completely changes. And as you get higher, the perspective dramatically changes. And here's the thing. You were once this little tiny person inside the vehicle driving to the airport, and your world seemed to revolve around you. But you get up at 30,000 feet, and all of a sudden you realize, you know what? I am nothing but a speck. I'm one of those people in those cars bustling down I-5. And when I'm in that car or when I'm in the airport, my world is crazy. Everything seems to be happening. And everything, in a sense, kind of revolves around you and your world. But for a moment when I'm up there and I can see everything, I realize I'm not much. God, who am I that you're even mindful of me? And it puts my whole life in perspective. And, I, and you, you praise God differently, it seems to me at least, anyways... I'm at the window seat, and I like that. And so this morning, we're going to fly up to 30,000 feet and hopefully get a whole new perspective on how this whole thing we're talking about fits together. Because sometimes it isn't how you get up there and you look at it all and you see all the parts, do you see how it all comes together? And so this morning, that's what I'd like us to do. Get up at 30,000, look at this whole thing that we're talking about, and, and refresh our minds and understand how this whole thing fits together. But as I do this, I don't want you to think, in, in this series at all, I don't want you to think, that I somehow, because I get up here and I speak and I am you know, talking as if I kind of have this whole thing figured out, I don't. I am so humbled in the process of even preparing, humbled by how inadequate I am, how you know, how much of a pupil I am in this. I've been humbled in the process to know what it looks like to, to follow God in the details of life. Because so often this is me. Charge and ask God to bless. Wait on the Lord? What's that? What do you mean? 
yeah, wait, stop, slow down, wait on the Lord, and follow Him. You know, this has been wonderful because it's a really practical, particular application of what it means that Jesus is Lord, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and how it is that we follow, how it is that we submit, how it is that we walk with God, instead of charging ahead, running, doing our thing, saying, God, why aren't you blessing what I'm doing? Would you get on page here? Would you understand what's going on? We need this. I need this desperately to see how it is that we walk with God. And in walking with him, experience him on a day-to-day basis. But before we jump in, let's pray and ask God to have mercy and bless us this morning. Father, we look to you to help, to guide, to direct. Even now in these words that are spoken, I ask, Father, that you would work in them and through them that you would, by your Spirit, awaken us, help us to see and understand your ways, help us to know and understand our own folly, help us to know how much we need you, help us this morning to stop running and racing and start following. Father, we need you desperately. We need you to help us to walk with you on a day-to-day basis. We ask it in Christ. Amen. Well, let me state for you in complete overview fashion the seven realities we need to understand if we're going to follow God and experience him on a day-to-day basis. I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to give you all seven, and then I'm going to quickly and briefly go and walk through them, and so we can kind of get that 30,000-foot level. The first reality is that God is always at work around you. Always. The second is that God only reveals to us where he's at work when we have a relationship with him. A relationship based on love. (laughs) Background music. Did it make it seem better? (laughs) (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Let me repeat that. Second, God only reveals to us where he is at work when we have a relationship with him that is based on love. Third, God reveals to us where he is at work, and he calls us into that work. Fourth, the way God reveals to us where he's at work is through circumstances, his word, prayer, and the body of Christ. Fifth, when God does reveal to us where he's at work, it will cause us to have a crisis of belief when we follow him. Sixth, as we move forward to join him in the work, it will require major adjustments, typically, or at least some kind of adjustments in our life. And then seventh, when we follow God into the work, we will experience him in a new and powerful way. Those are the seven realities of knowing and doing the will of God, of following and walking with God, and so that we end up experiencing God. So I'm just going to briefly this morning look at each one of these seven, and I also want you to know that I'm not going to spend equal time on each one. So don't panic. We're going to get out of here on time. And if I'm a little longer on one, don't think, oh, no, if he's only on two. We have five more to go. <laughs> So if I see you looking at your watch and your eyes get big, don't worry. Some are going to be really quick. So 
I'm aware that I'm in, under time constraints. So, yeah, you love me even more now. All right, so the reality that we have to come with grips, to grips with in walking with God, the first reality is this, that God is at work around us. He's always at work. As John 5, if you look at John chapter 5, verse 17 declares, Jesus said to them, My Father is always, always at his work to this very day. And I, too, am working. Did you hear that? The Father is always at work. Well, what's he doing? God isn't just sitting in heaven and allow, sitting in heaven, sorry, allowing the world to simply function in some mechanistic kind of cause and effect way. He is actively involved in the details of life. As Acts 17 puts it, in him we live and move and have our being. So even our very functioning is is upheld by him. That's why according to Hebrews 1:13 this says this of Jesus that all things are upheld by the word of his power. And he does so in a very detailed way. He just isn't upheld like this. He's very intricately involved. In Psalm 147, it says all kinds of things about the way he's involved. But in particular, it says, he gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens that cry. We also know from Proverbs 21.1 that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. King, the heart of the king is in his hand. And then in Proverbs 16.33, we read, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. In other words, God is upholding, governing, and intricately working in every aspect of this world, even in the casting of dice. You can go through scripture, and this is just a touch of what God's involvement. But here's the problem. He's invisible to our eye. We don't see God. And this causes a problem because the world functions so systematically, doesn't it? It's so mechanistic in the way it it seems to function, cause and effect, and do this and get this. And we get in this world, it's, it's like we're in some machine. And it's easy to act and believe that it's up to that God is up in heaven while we grind away here down in the machine. Oh God, where are you? This is where we need to develop better spiritual eyes. God has got to give us eyes to see. So we can begin to see God at work in the details of life. He's at work. He is always at work. He says, My father is always at work, constantly working his will working everything according to the counsel of his will. And hopefully, by the time we're done the series, one of the things that we want to learn is that that God is at work, and we can begin to see where he's at work. We actually see that God is at work. We see God speaking in different ways. We see it everywhere. Hopefully, we can even see him speaking through creation, as Psalm 19 says. The heavens declare, they speak the glory of God. The second reality that we have to come to grips with in all of this is that God requires a relationship of love before he involves us in his work. Jesus said, if you look back in John chapter 5, verse 19, that was read for us this morning, I find this so fascinating. Listen to these words carefully. The son can do nothing on his own accord. 
Did you hear that? <laughs> what? The son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he is doing. Do you notice that how the, the father's love for the son? The father loves the son and he shows him all that he's doing. Throughout John, this theme stands out because Jesus... Jesus goes about and he does nothing on his own. He does not have his own will, he says. I don't even speak my own words. But he speaks only what the Father gives him to speak. He does only what the Father has him do. And the basis for this is because the Father and the Son love one another. It's a relationship of love. And they're united to one another. They're one. The Father and the Son Love. Out of that love, the son just follows and sees that what the father is doing. Now, when it comes to us, if we don't know the love of Jesus, if we don't come to know, if we don't grow in that love, if we do, we're not steeped in that love, we will not trust God, and we will not be able to submit to God. And we will not be able to follow him. As Jesus put it later in John, he said this, If We love him, what will we do? We will obey his commands. So it follows that if we don't love him, what will happen? We won't obey his commands. And if we're not to obey his commands, if we're not going to obey his commands, he's not going to reveal to us more of what it is he's doing. Because guess what? We won't follow him even if we did know, even if he did reveal. We can't. We have a hard time. We don't want to obey We first have to love him. And and here's the deal. We will not first love him until we know that he first loves us. So you could sit here this morning and you could know that you don't love him. And you could say, hey, I need to love God more. And if I loved him, I'd obey his commands. I need to obey his commands. Stop. No, you won't. You first of all have got to know that he loves you. You've You've got to believe this. And when you believe his love for you, you receive his love for you. Now you want to obey his commands. You have to know that he first loves you before you will love him and obey his commands. So coming to know the love of Christ is the first and most important thing we can ever come to know before we'll ever think we're going to go and get busy and do some work for God. Hey, God's really going to use me. God, why don't you use me? God, get me. Get, could you have me do something great? Can you, can you really begin to use me? Well, stop. I mean, the first question is, do you love the Lord? And if you don't, you have to know and come to believe his love for you. And from there, that's where it starts. You can move forward. Because once this love relationship is solidly in place... And you delight to seek the Lord. You delight to follow the Lord. You delight to obey the Lord. You want to you do what the Lord has, has, has for you. The next reality comes into play where God reveals where it is he is at work. And we just saw in the Gospel of John, Jesus talks about how he doesn't do anything, speak anything, have any will of his own except what the Father does and the Father says and the Father wills. He's just nothing but a complete follower. 
And that relationship, here's what's, here's what's fascinating to me, is that relationship forms a basis of how it is that we are to walk with God as well. Jesus begins to reveal to his disciples in John chapter 14 through 17 something very fascinating. This is where we see how we are going to be brought into this union and fellowship with Jesus and the Father by the Spirit, all brought together. So that as Jesus was ministering with the Father, so are we going to minister with Jesus and the Father. Here's how, throughout this section, and we've looked at it before, and there's lots of good stuff. If you ever want to just read John chapter 14 through 17 and see what Jesus is going to do with us through the Spirit, it's a fascinating read. And here how, here's how he concludes this section in John chapter 17, verses 18 through 23, where he's praying to the Father. And he says this, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So he's also praying for the believers that are going to come. That they may be one, that they may be one just as... You, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love me and love, and love them even as you love me. So the ministry of Jesus, in that he was the servant of of the Father, doing only what he sees his Father doing and saying only what his Father has to say and doing only his Father's will is the ministry that we've been called into, that we've been brought into. As the Father sent me, so I send you, he says, the same way. You're brought into this union, this communion, this fellowship, and you're to live in this fellowship. And from this, you're to function in this triune way just as I function, Jesus says. Acts is a great book to see how this works. If you ever just want to just read Acts with the question of how is God working in and through his body, the church, it's a great book to show you the things that he's doing. You continually encounter these situations where God does something remarkable or he opens the doors or he closes doors and these open doors allows the gospel to be preached. You also have the Holy Spirit preventing people and opening doors and stopping them from going to certain places. He gives them dreams and he gives them visions to direct them along the way. And all the way, God is at work in and through his church, guiding and directing and moving them as to where they should go. People are being guided by the Spirit as to how the gospel is to be spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. God is at work. So what we see is that when God wants us to join him in the work that he is doing, he reveals to us what he's up to. God reveals to us the work that he's up to. This is the reality. The question is, how does he do that? How does God reveal to us? And that's where we looked at. He reveals to us through the word, through prayers, through circumstances, and through the church. This is what God does. He reveals to us through these means what he's doing. And it's not too, in the not too distant past, this is what we looked at. We just finished, before we went into the vacation time or the holiday season, Christmas season, 
we, what we just finished looking at is how God does and how he doesn't speak to us through the word, through prayer, and through circumstances. We left at circumstances. And in all these cases, if we are aware of what God is saying and what he's doing, we will see that he speaks to us far more than we ever realized. He is actually very, very active in his speaking to us and declaring different things to us. But we might not be very accustomed to the way he speaks to us. Because it's not like two people talking with one another. Wouldn't it be much easier if God just said, you know, woke you up in the morning and said, hey, Dean, I got something for you. Let's sit and talk. And he lays out the plan and you just go, that was easy. I like that. that just, that's real clear communication. But he doesn't communicate to us that way. He communicates to us by the Spirit, to our spirit, as we looked at, through the Word, through prayer, through circumstances, through, uh, through the body of Christ, different people. These are the means. God, God is not flesh like we are. He's not, except for Jesus now. But he doesn't deal with us and communicate with us the same way that two people would. And so we need to understand, how does he communicate with us? Because he's not going to submit to you and you say, God, would you just speak to me? Well, no, that's not how it works. This is how I speak to you. I will communicate clearly to you and I'll communicate to you by the spirit, to your spirit, through these means. You just have to get ears to hear and eyes to see. So what we have to do is grow and mature in in, in our relationship with God and learn to know how it is that we hear his voice. How do we hear his voice when we read? How do we hear his voice in prayer? How do we hear his voice through the circumstances he brings into our lives? How do we hear his voice through one another as a church body in whom the spirit works? And that's, that's what we have to learn. But once, we, once God does reveal to us where it is he's at work, the next reality comes into play. God will then require something that will test our faith. There will be a crisis of belief. And this should almost go without, without stating, actually. Because it's necessary that we understand the ways of God and, and how he's always dealt with his people. When God reveals to us where it is he's at work, and he wants us to, to join him in that, it will always feel too big for us. Always. It, it, if it's not overwhelming your sense that you feel or sense your inadequacy when you hear it, there's a, probably a sense that God is not speaking. Now, just try to find throughout the Bible anywhere where God called the people, revealed to them what he's doing and what he wants them to do, and where they don't almost go, <gasps> you know, it's like, are you serious? <laughs> really? That's, that's the God we serve. He wants us to see and understand it's, it's not you who does it, it's me who does it through you. Just think, take a very plain and simple God, clear command. God says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Oh, no problem. Really? That's a, he's clearly revealed his will in that. And just go try to. And you will find that even the simplest little commands that God revealed his will, that's clearly revealed his will, right? Now you go to do that and you find yourself awake one night realizing, I, didn't, I don't even come close. This is horrible. And that's precisely where God wants you. 
Because God doesn't call us to do something that it doesn't require him to do it. He doesn't call us to do something that doesn't require us to walk by faith. We have to walk by faith and are dependent upon grace and for God to work in us and through us. We have to walk as in trepidation, knowing that he must and look to him. But he will always, always gives. He'll always give what it is he requires. And when we follow God, knowing that we can't unless he does something great, this is what happens. There's a crisis of faith. And then once we believe, once we wrestle through that and we believe God and we begin to follow, guess what has to happen next? Here's the next reality. The next reality is that we have to make an adjustment in our lives. When God called Abraham, he had to leave the land of Ur. Had to move. Things had to change. When God called Jacob, Joseph, Moses to do his work, they had to change their lives and make adjustments. Whenever God revealed his work to his, his, his work to his people, they had to make adjustments. And often they weren't adjustments they liked, were they? Because it meant they had to walk by faith into situations that seemed impossible, right? They, they were impossible. So not only is there a crisis of faith once we decide to follow God, but there is an adjustment that needs to be made in our lives, even at the simplest level. Let's just say that God reveals to you that you need to make right, make a relationship right with your in-law. He convicts you. He reveals to you. You're reading the word and you're like, ah, I, need to, I need to make it right. You, in order to follow him in that, you are going to have to walk by faith. That's a crisis of belief. You've got to believe that God is going to be with you because you're walking into the unknown, and that can be scary. And you have to make some adjustments. No matter how this is obeyed, it's going to require you make an adjustment to your schedule to get it done, to do it. You'll most likely have to give them a call. Send them a text or an email or do something and arrange some kind of a meeting and figure out how you're going to, how you're going to do that and then what are you going to say. You're going to walk into a situation where you don't know how they're going to respond. Do you like that situation? Is that, is that something easy that you can do? No, you have to walk by faith. You have to make all kinds of adjustments and walk into some unknown situations. And depending on what happens, you might have to follow up. And you might have to make the, and you're going to have to make some more adjustments to do that. Your usual typical schedule is going to get rattled to follow the Lord in this one particular way. So no matter what God calls us to do, we can't keep doing the same thing and expect it to be accomplished. He will call us. It's going to be a crisis of faith. We have to make some adjustments and then follow. But once we do that, good things happen. This is where the last reality comes into play. God will be experienced. When Moses went to Pharaoh, you can guarantee that he went with a lump in his throat and a tremor in his knees. He didn't know what was going to happen. You're approaching the most powerful man in the world. He already tried to give God every excuse he had. It didn't work. He doesn't know how this is going to unfold. He didn't, God didn't say, okay, Moses, step one, step two, step three. No, go. 
And when you get there, just go. Okay, just go? Okay, now what? So, and so from, the, from the very first one, turning the water into blood, to the, all the different plagues, to the leading of Israel to the Red Sea, Moses doesn't know till it's unfolding. And it's unfolding. He says, go this way. Okay, where are we going? <laughs> God, is, God is leading and, fo- and he's following and he's learning to follow him. And, he, and he, look at every one. He leads him into these weird, impossible situations. He's declaring things. He's saying things. He's like, God, you better show up because this is something crazy. And then he tells him, he's at the Red Sea, right? And he says, hold out your staff. He's like, okay. And all of a sudden, God parts it and blows his mind. Holy. Wow. Wow. And the same storyline goes throughout Scripture, where God's people, when they obeyed him, they, they, they experienced God and his power and his goodness in ways that only the, only the faithful can know. You can't know. You can't experience God in this way. You have to walk by faith into situations. And f- sometimes these situations, they scare you. Well, And they should scare you because they make you feel your weakness. They make you feel your inadequacy. They make you feel that you're unable. And you have to lean on. You have to trust in. You have to hope in God. And now this goes all the way back to the beginning. You will not do that unless you're convinced of his love. You have to know he's good. You have to believe it. I don't know, Lord, but I guess. Let's go. But I tell you, when you do that, that's where you experience God like you've never experienced him before. Walk into the fiery furnace and watch him show up. But if you're too afraid to walk into the fiery furnace, you will not experience God. You will not see that he shows up in the midst of it. We, don't we love comfortable life? Don't we love to walk by sight? Don't we love to just do the things that just make total sense to us? I like this because I can figure it all out. I'm in total control. If you put me in total control, oh, peace like a river. Take me out of control. Like, I'm not in charge. I'm not in control. You're the guy on the back of the motorbike, and you got some crazy guy on the front. I always hated that. Put me on the front. You get on the back. And that's, that's often what a relationship with God is like. God, can you get on the back and just bless me and protect me? Because I like to have control. He says, no, not going to work. You walk with me. You want to experience me. You want to know my goodness, my power. You've, you've got to follow me. You're not in charge I'm going to call you to go in, to walk into darkness, to walk into the impossible, to walk into crazy, to walk into not making sense. And believe me and trust me. And there you will see my power and my glory. There you will come to experience me and know me as you never have before. Do you know what Israel did on the other side of the water after they walked through? (laughs) They had a party. They set up stones as a memorial, and they start singing, and they start dancing. I guess so. They've just experienced the glory and power of God as never before. And that's the common response to God's people. God's people who are walking by faith, following the Lord, and doing what he's called them to do, they are rejoicing. They are giving thanks. They are praising the Lord pretty vibrantly. 
because they know that he showed up big time for them. You want a boring, mundane, kind of Yonsville Christian life that just kind of is comfortable and, you know, you're falling asleep and, you, you know, it would be great to worship God, but, man, my heart's dead. Then you just live a life. You, you walk by sight. You do what's comfortable. You, do, you, know, you, you don't really follow, you follow God, but you stay away from all the dangerous stuff. You don't really like the, the text that tells you to go, and if your neighbor has something against you, to go and make it right. I don't like making it right. That's all kind of, those are unknowns. That's scary. That's uncomfortable. I, what am I, I going to say? And that, as long as we have a good question, we think we don't have to obey. What, oh God, I don't even know what I'm going to say. And because I don't know what I'm going to say, I'm not going. Well, that's not following God. That's not walking by faith. You do that, you will never experience the grace of God. Walk into a situation with your knees knocking together and you got a lump in your throat and thinking, oh God, what now? And, if, and you watch, you will pray differently. You will be dependent on God differently. And when you get in those situations, you're going to say, oh, Lord. And then you find, wow. You watch the Lord part the sea. You watch the Lord show up. You watch him do his work. You watch him work in and through. You watch him, and you will praise and glorify him and experience him like you never have before. That's how it works. George Mueller was a man in Bristol, England, who wanted to show the people of God that, that he could be trusted. I'm sure you've all heard of George Mueller. And he wanted to show the people of God that the Lord could be trusted no matter what. He wanted them to see God do great things through him and, and, and that God used him as an example. And so God called him to start this orphanage. No money, no problem. He prayed, God provided. And all along the way, it got to the point where he had over 10,000 orphans. And there were several occasions where the meal they had the night before, well, it was the last because there was not a morsel of bread left. So George Mueller spent the night on his knees. Oh, Lord, please glorify your name. Show yourself to be powerful. You, these are your children. You called me. You feed them. This is you. You cannot let them down. You've got to show up. He doesn't know how God is going to show up. And on one occasion, a wealthy couple comes the next morning with enough food to feed everybody. They said the Lord had deeply burdened them to come and provide. That's the God we serve. But it only happens, those stories, you're only going to have a story like that when you follow the Lord into the dark place because he's called you, he's led you. He said, go. But I, Lord, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know. Go. He provides. If you could figure it all out, you don't need him. You don't need to walk by faith. You can just walk. But when the Lord calls us, he reveals to us where he's at work and what he wants us to do. And there's tons that's just plain and simple on the, right here in the pages of Scripture that he calls us to do. 
And so often we make every kind of excuse why we can't or will not do it. And we talk about our weakness. We talk about our inability. We talk about not knowing. We talk about, yeah, yeah, tell me something we don't know. Of course. That's the whole point. If you want to experience God and have him show up in your life, you've got to start walking by faith to what he's revealed for you to do. And as you do, you will have a crisis of faith. You will have some sweats. You will have knocky knees. You will have, you will have a heart palpitations. But you will see God show up like never before. You will experience the Lord. And to the degree that which, to which we will follow him, believe him, trust him, Look to him. We will experience him. And may God grant us this in 2016. Amen. Father, I ask you to forgive us. Forgive me for not walking by faith, for always walking by sight so often, for trusting in myself, for trusting in my abilities and my skills, for trusting in me. Forgive us, Father. And may we walk with you, follow you, obey you. But before any of this happens, oh Lord, please, grant us the eyes to see your love, that we would believe your promises about what you've done, that we would believe that every person here would look upon Jesus, look upon him and his work and what he's done, and they would believe Believe your love, believe how much you love, believe in your power, believe in your goodness and your glory, believe in your wisdom, and trust you implicitly. Oh, Lord God, may we be this people that we would believe you and follow you, trusting in you and then experiencing you in ways we never have before. Please, oh God, grant us this. Grant us faith that we would believe. In Christ we ask it. Amen.